You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Tony Telecasts from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Mo Brady. And I'm Aaron Albano. I'm punching my car. Welcome, listeners, to our mini-series about the Tonys, looking into the drama behind the drama of a theater season in Broadway history. In each podcast episode, we watch a telecast of a previous Tony Awards, not only the performances, but the opening and speeches to see how it reflects the season as a whole. So let's dive in and talk about the 1999 Tony Awards. The 53rd Annual Tony Awards were held at the Gershwin Theater on June 6, 1999. Unlike every other award ceremony we've discussed in this miniseries, the show did not have a formal host. Heading into the ceremony, the closed Lincoln Center theater production of Parade led the pack with nine nominations. Following closely behind was the eventual winner for Best Musical, Fosse, with eight. Spoilers! <laughs> Sorry for spoiling the two-decade-old <laughs> ceremony. Also in the running for Best Musical were It Ain't Nothing But the Blues and The Civil War, with four and two nominations, respectively. In the race for Best Revival of a Musical were Your Good Man Charlie Brown and Little Me, with four nominations, and Any Get Your Gun, with three nominations, followed by Peter Pan with a singular nomination for Best Revival. <laughs> but aside from the telecast itself, what was happening at the time, Aaron? Take us back to 1999. The 1998-1999 Broadway season found itself in a very tumultuous time in U.S. history. Smack dab in the middle of President Bill Clinton's second term in office, domestically, the country was facing a multitude of newsworthy events. Among them were the impeachment and acquittal of said president in the scandal involving Monica Lewinsky, the brutal murder of Matthew Shepard in Laramie, Wyoming, and the mass school shooting in Columbine, Colorado that would sadly become the first of a number of school shootings in the nation, in what the Washington Post would eventually refer to as a uniquely American crisis in 2018. Abroad, the world was embroiled in the Kosovo War, which permeated the American zeitgeist as well. And all this with Y2K just around the corner. Remember Y2K? Yeah, I sure do. Gosh, we're old, Aaron. Uh-huh. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. All right, let's pour one out for the non-nominated musicals. Now, oh. out of all of the seasons that we've discussed so far, this, I thought, was the most sporadic random in terms okay. of its nominations you know usually you see like there are musicals that are being nominated for either best musical or best revival of a musical and those shows are also nominated for many many other awards yeah and this year it's very odd there's like fits and starts there's like shows that are only nominated for best revival and then not nominated for anything else there's shows that are nominated for tons of awards but not best musical like it's very all over the place and one of those obviously is swan lake which is 
the dance show that ran at the Neil Simon Theater. It was the Matthew Bourne production. The Matthew Bourne production. The all the all male Swan Lake. The all male Swan Lake. Okay, I guess there are other ways to describe it than just Swan Lake. <laughs> and so it was closed at this time. It had run September through January. 124 performances had five nominations and one for both best direction of a musical and best choreography both to the same person matthew Bourne. wow really i didn't know that especially since it's not even really a musical it's a ballet well in his acceptance speech matthew Bourne says i won best direction of a musical and this isn't even a musical <laughs> which i was like correct and also maybe you shouldn't have won it i don't know oh have you seen this dvd i have this dvd by the way yeah it's fan it's a fantastic show i've also i also really liked edward scissorhands and i've i love a lot of their work mm -hmm. um also a musical that is nominated for many awards but not best musical is footloose mm. at the richard rogers <gasps> everybody cut everybody cut clap clap um, this ran for 709 performances, a very um, respectable run, and had four nominations this year. Best Book, Best Original Score, Best Choreography, and Best Actress for D. Hody. Yes. We had a couple of smaller shows that were running this season as well. Band of Berlin at the Helen Hayes. It was a seven-person musical that ran 17 performances. Marlena at the Court which was a three-person musical that ran 25 performances, but got two nominations, one for Best Book of a Musical and one for Best Actress. There was also The Gershwin's Fascinating Rhythm at the Long Acre. This was a 10-person musical review that included Michael Barres, Adrian Lennox, Orfe, Sara Ramirez, and Patrick Wilson. Like, this oh, is a wow. stacked cast that I want to see. However, it only ran for 17 performances in April and May, and it wasn't nominated for a thing. So maybe wow. it wasn't that good. Maybe just wrong place, wrong time. Well, and it's funny because also, like, a Gershwin review usually does so well yeah it doesn't seem like a bad idea and yet and yet nothing for this one all right and the last non-nominated musical of the 1998-1999 season was a revival of on the town it ran 69 performances october through january um this is the one with uh jesse tyler ferguson as one of the sailors oh that's this one yeah i think this is a public theater production oh interesting well had one nomination though mary testa for Best Featured Actors in a Musical for playing Hildy, the, the taxi driver. So six non-nominated musicals, but only two of them are actually not nominated for anything. That's a lot of non-nominated musicals for one season. And yet this was the season of the play? Yeah, I guess so. 14 musicals and here we are in the season of the play. Let's talk about this telecast, Aaron. Uh, host choice. You picked the 1999 telecast. Yes, I did. Uh, why did you pick this year beforehand? And then I want to know uh, if it uh, met your expectations. In Oh, sure. So I chose 1999 because in our discussions of more recent telecasts, we've always talked about the host. We've talked about James Corden. We've talked about Neil Patrick Harris. We've talked about Rosie O'Donnell. We've talked about all of them and discussed the their strengths and weaknesses. This one interested me because it is one of the few more modern telecasts that does not have a formal host. Yes, the energy of these telecasts really seems to ride or die on the host itself. So what happens when there isn't a host? Exactly. Yeah. That sounded very exciting to me to just examine in my host's choice. I also wanted to watch this because... It has people performing in this telecast 
that we've both worked with as choreographers. And it, I thought it would be fun to watch them in their performing prime. I love that. So we'll, we'll dive into how all three of those worked in this podcast episode. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. No business like show business like no business. Opening number. There's no business like show business sung by Bernadette Peters and Tom Wopat. Yeah. This is one of those Tony Awards that opens with a number from a show, right? We saw that at uh, with Something Rotten doing a musical at the opening of the telecast in 2015. Sometimes when there is a show in the running that is so theatrical. Or just has like a, a, like a baked in opening number that's just too good to pass up. Right. However, what's sort of unique, at least I think, in this version is it's a very clean opening number. We get Tom Wopat coming out singing a verse. Bernadette Peters comes out singing a verse. Mm -hmm. And then they just call out all All the hosts. They name them by name. And, you know, they all come out in their pairs that they're going to announce awards for. And they then end with, like, just these 20 stars a host parade if you a will. host parade it was a host parade they call it they do a roll call and then they just like sing the last line of the song and yeah. then they're done and then it, we move I on mean, in terms of like getting famous people into the ceremony they've done an excellent job here. sure <laughs> what did you think of this opening number it was fine it was fine i mean was it an opening number no were we done with it quickly yeah. It was efficient. It was a it was efficient. efficient it was, that is a great word for it. We opened it. And then it was open. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it did allow for some like wonderful moments. Of course, Elaine Stritch comes out late when she's supposed <laughs> to be joining Kevin Klein. Like there was just like some like great personality moments uh-huh. of people coming out that I was like, that's ridiculous. So speaking of the reason that I wanted to choose this one, how did you like the lack of formal host? Well, one thing to know is that this is a 90-minute ceremony. Yes. Speaking of efficiency, this is very fast. So to give a little context for where we are in the history of the Tonys at this time. So this came from 1998, where Rosie was doing her second time hosting And the year after, in the year 2000, she will return for her third time hosting. I don't know what's going on in the middle where she couldn't do it. And she gets specifically called out by Elaine Stritch. Mm -hmm. Placed in the middle of Rosie's second and third times hosting, it was a very drastic shift from a host-led Tony's. Interesting, because this is like right in the middle of the Rosie O'Donnell show. Yeah. And its impact on both inside the theater industry, but also sharing 
the theater industry outside yeah. to mm-hmm. the masses, right? In January of 1999, a spokesperson confirmed that Rosie O'Donnell would not be the host of the Tony Awards in June of that year, saying she doesn't have the time. Interesting. So even though she's not the host, she was the de facto host. And then when she couldn't be the host, they're like, nah, we just won't have Well, just don't, we just won't have a host. Yeah. It's Rosie or nothing, baby. Um, Interesting. Fine. I don't always really love the comedian-led hosting mm-hmm. of the Tony Awards. Um, I think it really depends on the performer. But honestly, didn't feel like I missed anything. I don't know. What did you think? I liked that we were shorter, but <laughs> I did feel like the ceremony lacked a certain focus to it. Like I was just kind of not let out to dry, maybe let out to dry. Because I didn't have like a constant that I knew we'd go back to all the time. Huh. And I actually felt like it had more of a rhythm than some of the Interesting. Them that we've watched okay. Because often the host is used to sort of spice it up, you know? Okay. But this was very much like two celebrities come out, they present an award. Here's a number. Two more celebrities come out, they present an award. Here's a number. Like it, it felt yeah. very methodical to me. That's fair. So, But it almost also felt like. All of these people were now auditioning for being the next host after Rosie doesn't want to come back again. Well, none of them, none of them won. So yes, correct. But some of them were fantastic. Would you like to give any shout outs? Um, Carol Burnett and Julie Andrews, like forget about it. (sighs) Hands down the best non-hosts hosts of the night. They did specials together, right? Oh yeah. Their chemistry is tried and true and it shows in this. And you 100% want to see them. Like, yes, yes you, you want them to be the hosts of the Tony Awards. And you, you must have been like, nah, thanks. We'll present, <laughs> but we're good. That might be real. That might be so real. I did love Christine Baranski and David Hyde Pierce. You know, two theater people who like understand comedy, but also understand the industry and also understand the Tony Awards. Like it just felt like they felt perfect to me. Yeah, they were great. Like show business, like no business I know. How you were accusing half the night off, waiting till the morning papers came. Can we take a moment for the amount of dance nominations there were in this telecast? We love dance in 1999. We did. It was so great. And it's so it's so few and far between when this happened. So I loved seeing this many on screen. None of them won, but it was great that they were there. Who was it? It was Adam Cooper for Swan Lake, Desmond Richardson, Scott Weiss, and Valerie Pettiford for Fosse. I'm so happy that the nominating committee decided to call out these four dancers because this isn't a Cheetah Rivera. This isn't a Gwen Verdon where they're being featured for their prowess in all three parts of the craft. They are being honored strictly for dance, which is never honored at the Tonys. Yeah, well, it is in 2020. Yeah. Robin Herter sings very little in Moulin Rouge, the musical by her own. It's mostly acting and dance that the role of Nini has. And she's been nominated with a Tony Award. So it, I mean. Yes. But like you said, it's very rare. I don't remember another time in the last few years where we saw a dance performance. You know, it was Deborah Yates in Contact in 2000. We saw a lot of nominations in 2003 for Moving Out. And then uh, another Twyla Tharp show, Kareen Pledidit in 
Come Fly Away in 2010. But I feel like Kareen's nomination is like something we still talk about today as being impressive that she was nominated for a dance show, even though it was 10 years ago, because we didn't have any other examples. Yeah, that's real. I mean, I remember when Scott Weiss won for Jerome Robbins Broadway, and I feel like that is arguably the only one in history. And that was in 1989. He won for Jerome Robbins Broadway. There were two others nominated, Charlotte D'Ambois and Robert LaFosse. And then before that was Anne Ranking and Wayne Salento for Fosse's Dancing in 1978. This is not a common occurrence. So we had a lot of them in this time, which is great. It's also the shows. Like, mm-hmm. those are dance shows. And yeah. this season, we had a lot of dance shows. Aaron, how do we do the plays? It's time to talk about how we did the plays. This is your favorite part. How did we do the plays? We we did them poorly. That's how we did the plays this time. <laughs> okay, so... Elaine Stritch and Kevin Klein introduced, quote, a special one-time-only performance piece for us this evening, a collage of moments from five of the best plays on Broadway. It's a mosaic of emotions, touching on fathers and their children, men and their dreams, birth, death, and the bizarre and unpredictable intermission in between. And it would be performed by actors in the cast of those five plays. Brian Dennehy, Kevin Spacey, Clark Peters, Brian F. O'Byrne, Scott Wolf, Frank Wood, and Max Wright. It was a mess. I am so con- <laughs> So I have a lot of questions about this thing. Firstly, why do we only have the men? Like, you got Judy Dench, you got Stalker Channing, you got Marion Seldes, all nominated for all of these plays already. B- a, you only have the men. B, there's no unifying thing about the shows that are being presented. It's like both revivals... And new show like and Shakespeare, yeah, Death of a Salesman, Shakespeare, but also Sideman. I don't understand what the decision making was for this presentation. I mean, we should have known from the top when Kevin Klein massacres Brian O'Byrne's name because the concept was they were doing lines from their own shows at each other, right? Right. They were saying lines from their shows. They were saying them in the characters they play in those shows. Uh-huh. And yet it was supposed to sort of like be an emotional evocative piece about fathers and their children, men and their dreams, birth, death and the bizarre unpredictable intermission in between. I mean, what is most remarkable to me is that We hear time and again that the plays are where it's at this season. Callista Flockhart says in the very first presentation, it was without a doubt the season of the play. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And Kevin Klein in that introduction says the talk of Broadway this season has been the resurgence of drama. And so you could see like the conference table where they go, drama's big, right? Okay, so we got to do something special with the drama. Let's put Brian Dennehy and Kevin Spacey together on a stage. Sure. Right? And then it just spins out of control into a mess. It's like, yo, guys, this acting exercise that someone came up with did not work on TV. It does feel like a late night theater production from your college. Literally. And I'm just like... Y'all didn't sell any tickets with this presentation. Well, that's the problem. We say that time and again. Like, if the goal is to sell the shows, Uh the plays 
never get sold unless you perform a moment from the plays. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work when you do the montage. It doesn't work when you put props on a pedestal and have Laura Linney and Brian Stokes Mitchell talk about the plays. Just show us the plays. Show, show us the plays. Us. Show us the plays. Especially since it was such like a heavy revival season. Like, show us Death of a Salesman. Show us Twelfth Night. Show us While the Iceman Cometh. Okay, fine. But like, show us the plays. Instead of having them all talk at each other in some non-descript universe where these characters would collide? Like, I cut. No, forget it. I can't. The last thing I want to talk about in the first half of our Tony Telecast recap is the first 10. So this was a year where they gave the first 10 awards, mostly design awards, also choreography, the directors. They gave them on TV, but in a separate telecast that happened right before this telecast. So On PBS, right? Not on CBS. Yes. So you would tune into PBS for the hour before to watch these 10 awards. And then you would go to CBS to see the the main broadcast. So I think that's also part of the reason why the CBS version was so short. It was 90 minutes without commercials because we got this hour long PBS, like a full hour because there's no commercials. In my opinion, like I think you know what you grow up with, Mm -hmm. right? In terms of Tony Awards, these were the glory days. Like you really got like an hour to sort of dig into the Tony Awards. And Mm. this is before YouTube. Sure. There's all this fantastic B roll of rehearsals of other performances that you get to see. You know, you basically get to see multiple numbers from the shows now instead of seeing just the number that is part of the CBS telecast. Which is so interesting because that would almost be a better ad for the show. Yeah, there's fantastic interviews with Jason Robert Brown, with Hal Prince. You get to see rehearsal footage, a Fosse. So they go through kind of the process of, I want to be a dancing man. Oh, interesting. So you see them in a, you see them, I think, rehearsing on stage in rehearsal clothes you know with their hats i want to be a dancing man right and then they go like back and forth from like rehearsal to performance and you can sort of see like the how the uh, the design elements or how the lighting or how the costumes add to the storytelling Mm -hmm. i think it was really well put together this hour-long telecast we don't need this now because there's so much video content from the yeah. shows available. But in this time where there wasn't those things, like mm-hmm. this was such an excellent way to sort of get to see more of the shows than just the three minutes we see in the telecast. Thanks for joining us for our first half of our Tony Telecast host choice. To join us for the second part of our Tony's Telecast recap, be sure to join us on Friday. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Aaron Albano. And me, Mo Brady. Special thanks to Wasif Sammy for the background research on this week's and every week's Tony season. Please rate and review The Ensemblist wherever you listen to podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or at bpn.fm, the home of Broadway Podcast Network. Our Patreon members have on-demand access to our archive, including full conversations with our guests and early access to episodes. You can support us for between $5 and $20 a month at patreon.com slash The Ensemblist. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Hey, 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.